toss endless online searching to the curb. Let us edit out the noise and bring you medicine without misinformation. Welcome to the MedEdit Podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Jessica Gray. And me, Dr. Carrie Sorrell. Together, we will provide real, evidence-based medical information that will empower your health decisions, answer your questions, even the cringeworthy ones, and help you navigate the overload of information related to health and wellness. Let's sprinkle a little laughter and a whole lot of knowledge into your day. Hi, Jess. How are you doing today? Hey, Carrie. I'm doing well. Good, good. All righty. Well, so Jess, your son... It's two and a half now, right? Yes. Two and a half. We're in the terrible, terrible twos. Terrible twos. Yes. I have an almost two-year-old and then of course, you know, a five-year-old. So I've been through it and am also in it currently as well. So much fun, isn't it? It really is 95% of the time. I'll say that, to, you know, 5% of the time when they're on the floor throwing a fit, you're like, thank goodness you're so cute. The rest of the time you make it worth it. Yeah. I feel like this stage was where especially with my oldest, I got to the point where all the things I said I wouldn't do with my own kid went out the window just to survive. You know, of course. it was like, I, all these things that, oh, I would never do that. Never. And now I'm just like, please, whatever makes you stop crying or throwing a tantrum, we will do it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but it is worth it, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And your son, mine as well, are both super cute. So you're right. It makes it, it makes it all worth it. But there was a time where you didn't know if you were going to be able to conceive. Yeah, definitely. And that's, one of the things that really got us wanting to even do this podcast was talking about, you know, the information that was available talking about infertility. Right. Um, as you know, my husband and I struggled infertility for many years and it was a really long, complicated journey. Right. And there's a lot of misinformation about infertility as well out there. So much. I think that, you know, being a doctor, I'm in a special position where I can right. sift through some of it, but even if I, you know, knowing if I didn't have that background, there's just so much it's overwhelming. Well, I'm very excited today that we're going to talk about some of the facts regarding infertility, as well as hear your personal story about your struggles with infertility, yours and your husband's. Um, we're also, while we're on the topic of hormones, going to be bringing you our first Hollywood hype segment. You've heard about it in celebrity news. Now we're going to break it down and talk about the facts. And one of those facts is that one in eight women in the U.S. will have breast cancer in their lifetime. This was a real struggle for actress Suzanne Summers, who was diagnosed in her 50s. And we want to discuss why it's important to get breast cancer screening, as well as some of the information around hormone therapy, as Suzanne herself was a lifelong proponent of hormone therapy for menopause symptoms, as well as some alternative therapies for her cancer. So today, guys, we're talking ovaries and boobs. So let's dig in. First, infertility affects one in 10 women and one in 10 men. And there's a lot of inaccurate information out there that preys on many couples who are longing for a child. So let's separate the facts from the noise. Another interesting fact that just came out from the U.S. Census Bureau is that for the first time, the average age of women giving birth is now 30 in the United States. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I mean, obviously, I was one of those people as yeah. well, you know, but it is true. It has gone up. Well, and that's why the discussion about infertility is so important, because as we know, women in their 30s are about half as fertile as they are in their 20s. And with now most women not having babies until their 30s, it's going to become even more of an issue. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about some of the facts today, but first just let's hear a little bit about your story and your struggle with infertility. Absolutely. So like we said, um, I've struggled for infertility for many years. I was trying to, uh, think about all of the things we've been through, through all these years, we've had multiple doctors in multiple States. Um, we've done seven rounds of IVF, three IUIs, 
eight months of medicated cycles, eight surgeries and proceed, not including some other procedures, literally thousands of injections, tens of thousands of pills, who knows how many ultrasounds, those things are lots of fun and really invasive. Um, and then one miscarriage, of course, at the wow. beginning. So yeah, like I was saying, being a doctor and going through infertility is a really interesting experience because you know so much of this that you've learned through medical school, but it's definitely different being a patient. Oh yeah. And not to the same level. No, by any means. Yeah. You know, we know we're not, neither of us are reproductive infertility specialists. Um, you know, we're not even OBGYNs. So we've got our background in, you know, women's health and all these other things too. But then when you get down this road, there's just so much in a very, very complicated field of medicine. So when I sit there and talk to some of my friends or other people I've met through this journey who are not medical and we talk about things I just can't even imagine how overwhelming it feels like. And no wonder we turn to things like the internet, social media, random influencers that are telling you how to get pregnant. And, you know, pregnancy and infertility is so emotionally driven as well, and just like many other things, even like cancer or something too. But there's just so much to when you long to be a parent, it really, really pulls on your heartstrings. You go anywhere you go, you see parents walking around with their kids, you know, right. you still get invited to baby showers and things and you're trying to be happy for your friends or family members with their surprise pregnancies and stuff. And so, you know, you're trying your best, but it can be a really, really hard journey, both physically and emotionally. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, unfortunately, some people don't understand that not currently having a child is not by choice. And so there's a lot of that external pressure as well that just makes it when you're already emotionally driven and heightened, it just makes it even harder. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, like we kind of hinted at the beginning, this is one of the driving factors for why we're even sitting down and trying to create this, you know, the med edit, right? We're here to try to give some information from actual physicians. So we're not just some random influencer who, you know, looks something up online or has read some one study that was not, you know, there was no actual basis for it. It's not a randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled study. Those are like the best ones we can possibly do. Right. Some of the ones that they're talking about are just, you know, a case study that was published about one person's, you know, journey and how mm-hmm. it affected. And so that shouldn't set the standard for, you know, the rest of women and how they do things. Mm-hmm. So um, even, even with that being said, though, I did try everything. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like oh. you said, it pulls on your heartstrings. There's a lot yes. of emotion attached to it. So you try everything. So, I mean, I did um, traditional holistic and non-holistic approaches to all sorts of things. I mean, I've tried it all. I've done... Um, Oh gosh, like a vegan, dairy free, you know, gluten free diets. I threw out all the plastics in my house, didn't drink out of any plastic containers or anything like that um, for years. I did acupuncture. I mean, I've literally tried it all. I've seen these diagrams where they talk about like, check off what you've tried for infertility. And there's almost nothing I haven't tried besides like an all meat diet, which I don't think they normally say. (laughs) I've been a vegetarian for 20 years. I didn't go too crazy with it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been interesting. I tried all the vitamins and the supplements. And so it's just really overwhelming to know that there's so much out there. Um, just for background, I do have endometriosis and a really complicated uterus malformations requiring like multiple surgeries. We don't need to go into yeah, all your, the your uterus is a lot. Oh my She's gosh. a drama queen. Oh my gosh. My uterus is <laughs> definitely special in her own right. She, she came into this world special and right. she's going to make that clear. She does not make it easy on you. <laughs> no. That is for sure. So, you know, it kind of affected multiple factors for in- infertility. There's of course getting pregnant and then staying pregnant, you know? And so those are two factors that were affecting it in two different ways. And so um, definitely made it for a more complicated journey. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the resources that you found helpful on your journey. And 
with some good facts that you felt like you actually were able to sort through some of these things? So there are several resources that I've found now that I think are really helpful. And I wish I even had them sooner as a patient. Dr. William Schoolcraft actually was my physician um, up at Colorado Center for Reproductive Medicine up in Denver. And he helped me conceive my son that we talk about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I am currently pregnant right now. Congratulations. Thank you. Awesome. Yep. I'm about six and a half months pregnant. Um, so he helped us with that one too, but he wrote a book. And so of course I didn't find the book until we got up there um, and started transferring our care up there. But it's called, if at first you don't conceive, you can find it on Amazon. Um, side note, Carrie and I, neither of us are paid to talk about any yeah. resources whatsoever. We're no, just sharing. Yeah, no. <laughs> We're just sharing what works for us. So, um, but it's a really easy read. It helps you understand when to see an infertility doctor, because really we need to know when, when is enough, especially when you're trying to conceive in your twenties versus your thirties versus your forties, time is a factor. So right. when to see an infertility doctor, how to pick the right infertility clinic, where we live here, we don't have a lot of infertility clinic options, unfortunately, but in bigger right. cities, um, Dallas, Houston, other places outside of Texas, you have a lot of options. And so how to really pick the right one because there are differences and then what steps are available. And I have gifted this book to other women, um, struggling with infertility this week alone, I gave, I gave the recommendation to a patient of mine who's a male whose wife recently got diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And so they're doing some oncofertility preservation. And so I was like, you need to start here with this book. And so yeah. you can get an idea of where to go from. So that one I find extremely helpful. It's an easy read. Even my husband, who's not medical, was able to you know read excerpts out of it and feel more confident in making a decision where we need to go next with it. Good. The other re- resource I would recommend which is a bit heavier. So you definitely don't want to read it if you're just maybe starting out the beginning of the journey. But if you're going into things like IUIs and IVF and you're going that really intense route, um, there's a book called It Starts With the Egg. It is a resource that I found helpful that discussing the actual benefits of certain vitamins and supplements for infertility and discusses which ones work and do not work. It is evidence-based. So it really, really dives into the research studies um, and it's written by OBGYNs and REIs. Um, reproductive infertility physicians all over the country that back it up. It was one of the ones that actually convinced me to do the acupuncture. Wow. Yeah. Acupuncture actually has um, really great evidence that it helps um, thicken the lining of the uterus before a transfer or trying to get pregnant. Wow. And it was very interesting because I was able to tell the acupuncturist, we ran my numbers before and then we ran my numbers afterwards and they compared two cycles and we were actually able to see that the lining was more beneficial with the acupuncture. So, hmm. yeah. So, you know, when you're sitting there and you're looking at all the fertility supplements that someone's going to try to sell you, this was nice because you can go just buy the vitamin D, you can buy the CoQ10, you can go buy the melatonin, the vitamin C yourself. And you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on some influencers, proprietary, you know, mix, yeah. you can get what you actually need and then the correct dosages for what you need it for. So it's a super interesting resource. It's just, it's very heavy, <laughs> but it's great so that you can actually just figure out, okay, what do I need so that I'm not buying some random thing from influencers, you know, pushing those scams online who are trying to pull at your heartstrings. Yeah, no, for sure. And we will of course have a link to those in the show notes as well so that people can, can find them. Absolutely. All right, Jess. So we've talked about some of the resources that people can look into if they want further information regarding facts and infertility. What are some other tips that you have for people out there who are currently going through the struggle? Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that it takes you going through this and getting out on the other side to be able to sometimes give that advice to somebody. Because when you're in it yourself, there's there's nothing that 
makes sense. There's nothing that really makes it all feel a whole lot better. But mm-hmm. coming on this side, I feel like I can say, okay, I have some tips and advice. Number one, find your tribe. Infertility is so isolating for both women and men. So you've got to surround yourself with people who lift you up during a difficult time. That also means you can pull yourself away from maybe some people that don't lift you up during that time. Not everybody's going to be able to understand. Most people are not going to be able to understand what you're going through and how you're feeling. But you also want to find people that don't minimize it or act like it's just run of the mill. They really are there for you and your close friends during that time give yourself some grace for sure. I had to definitely pull back a little bit, um, knowing it's okay to not go to every single baby shower you get invited Mm -hmm. to get them a gift, support your friend. But sometimes it might be really triggering to be there. I mean, I remember walking through a baby store and just crying, buying gifts for other people after so many years and miscarriages and embryo losses and all sorts of, you know, loss that it was just so hard to be you know, you want to be happier for friends and family, but it's okay to give yourself some grace to pull back just a little bit. Right. Sometimes, sometimes somebody needs to just give you that permission. Right. Right. Um, don't listen to all the unsolicited advice. If I had money for every time I received unsolicited advice from someone such as, you know, you just need to relax or you just, you're just not trying hard enough or this worked for my sister, or you guys just need to get really drunk and go have a good you know, <laughs> drunk in the car or something. <laughs> like, Good Are you sure that wasn't your husband who gave you that? Yes. <laughs> Trust me. I've heard like literally everything. And so it's, it's really hard. And so, gosh, if I, that's what I was saying. If I had money for that, they'd probably pay for some of the infertility costs that, you know, you pay, get zero insurance coverage for. So, um, and then going on that for the women who felt losses, such as a miscarriage at any stage or the loss of an embryo with a failed transfer, like we've had several of those, you know, just knowing it's not your fault. You're still an amazing human being, even if you've had losses and it's okay to grieve each loss. Every loss is, um, they're not all the same and they all deserve to be grieved and, you know, go through that process. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise block out all the awful comments people say, like when they're trying to, you know, just make you feel better. You know, I've heard at least the miscarriage was early, or at least, you know, you can get pregnant now, or it's not like it's a real baby. Mm. Yeah. That one really hurt. Yeah. Um, I've heard them all. So the other thing is the tip for a friend or family member. So maybe you're listening today to us and you're like, okay, well, you know, haven't struggled with infertility, but you have a friend who has, so you're like, okay, what do I say to them? Um, it is hard. You need, there isn't the right, there's not a right thing to say. There's probably some wrong things to say. (laughs) So what a lot of, as we have heard today, yes, (laughs) there's a lot of things though that you can do that's, you know, supporting them, you know, just being there, just literally saying, Hey, I'm here for you. I care for you. If you want to talk, let's talk. Um, you know, most of the time not saying a whole lot is better, but just really being there for them, sending them flowers, send them a cupcake or a succulent. I've sent some people like, you know, flowers seem too much. So I just sent them little succulent cactus plants because maybe a little spiky cactus fit better about your mood than flowers did. So you know, maybe a bottle of wine or tequila. Definitely had a friend or two drop off some tequila at the house for me. Never a bad idea. <laughs> Never a bad idea. So I think there's lots of ways we can do. Don't try to find the bright side. Just try to check on them when they're quiet. Don't be upset if they pull away or are quiet uh, themselves. And then, you know, try to avoid some triggering topics, but they just want to feel loved and cared for just like you would in any other situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I think that's all fantastic advice. And I love the fact that we have some resources for our listeners to be able to access to get factual information because there is a lot out there. And you're right, I've never struggled with infertility, but I've had a lot of friends and family that have and seeing all of the things like you mentioned they tried, which was even new for me. I remember 
the first time I had a family member who said they're going to do acupuncture. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's a thing? Like, mm-hmm. okay. And, you know, you worry because sometimes you do feel like some people are taking advantage of. So I'm happy to hear that there are some good resources that people can access because it is an emotional and hormonal time and you you want to be able to to support people. And I, I love that I have those options now to give yeah. my friends and family that might be struggling with, with infertility as well. And as Jess and I mentioned, neither one of us are OBGYNs or infertility specialists, and we have just scratched the surface today about infertility. So we will provide some resources for you guys to look into more from some friends that we have that are REI specialists or reproductive specialists so that you can delve into this a little bit deeper. We just wanted to introduce the topic, provide you some resources to get some factual information, share Jess's story, and then hopefully point you in the right direction to take it from there. All right. I know this is your favorite segment, Jess. Oh, I'm so excited. The Hollywood hype is going to be a recurring segment on our show, which is going to be fantastic. I know. Anything that we can talk about celebrities, it feels like, and medicine at the same time, it feels like when. Oh, definitely. So for Hollywood hype today, you've heard about it in the celebrity news. Now we're going to talk about it. And today we are talking about the late Suzanne Summers, who unfortunately recently passed away from her battle with breast cancer. Here at home, some sad news. In Hollywood tonight, actress Suzanne Summers has died at the age of 76. Summers was known for her roles in Three's Company and also Step by Step. She was a regular guest here at KTLA and she survived an aggressive form of breast cancer for over 23 years. Back in July, Summers announced her breast cancer had returned in a social media post. And in that post, she said, quote, this is not new territory for me. I know how to put on my battle gear and I'm a fighter. So she was originally diagnosed in her 50s with breast cancer thanks to a routine mammogram, which is why breast cancer screening is so important. And unfortunately, her struggle spanned 25 plus years, and ultimately she did pass from complications related to breast cancer. And there was a time period based on her biographies she's written in interviews that she's done where she was trying to utilize non-traditional or alternative treatments and eventually did opt for surgery and radiation, but unfortunately had recurrence of her disease multiple times throughout her life. And that's why we're going to talk today about the importance of breast cancer screening and why you need to get your tatas checked, ladies. <laughs> There's going to be about 240,000 cases of breast cancer diagnosed in the U.S. this year. That's one in eight women that will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. So you absolutely know someone or will know someone, if not yourself, who is diagnosed with breast cancer. Jess and I both have moms who have had breast cancer as well, uh, completely unexpected, at least for my mom, was diagnosed on her routine mammogram in her 70s. With my mom in her 60s. With never having any issues beforehand. So, you know, starting out strong, but continuing that screening throughout your lifetime is super important. Many women have an increased risk of breast cancer because of their family history. And that's why the right screening choice may not be the same for everyone, because some of those higher risk patients may need more of an advanced screening. Um, You know, there are mammograms, there's also breast MRIs, and that's why you really want to make sure you talk to your physician about which option is best for you based on your personal and family history. And that's, that's one of the things that is really fun for me to talk about because I do that all day, every day in clinic. Um, We talk about preventative screening all day long, but especially I do a lot of breast cancer screenings. So just kind of as an overage so people understand, because sometimes they hear, they're like, well, I thought you're supposed to start mammograms at 40 or 45 or 50. Well, there are different recommendations based on different consensus groups. And so the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology says to start at 40 or 45 every one or two years, kind of based on patient hit risk factors, family history, preference. 
American College of Radiology, who those are the people that make mammograms, Mm -hmm. they say 40 in every year, like forever. The American Cancer Society says 40 in every year. And then there's the United States Preventative Services Task Force, this big corporation that comes up with some more rules and they say 50. So they're the outliers, right? What I go by with my patients is the same thing that most of our big cancer centers will go by. It's going to be 40 in every one year. Um, So start at 40 every year getting mammograms. There are certain people that, like you said, need more advanced screenings, like a breast MRI. Those are going to be people with family histories, more risk factors, some genetic um, factors. There's genetic texting options that we offer in clinic. Most clinics are able to set this up for you. If you meet certain criteria, like you have a mother with breast cancer, you know, or a sister or another relative, or let's say you've got an aunt and a cousin, you know, a certain number of family members with cancers, not just with breast cancer, you got to know all the combinations you can qualify for these genetic screenings and insurance likes to cover it these days too. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I mean, and if you, even if you cash pay for them, a lot of them do deals. Um, we use Myriad genetic cancer screening in our clinic. And I believe the cash pay price is like 250 bucks, which mm-hmm. to get this information that potentially is life-saving mm-hmm. really, really helps. And based on that, we know that we can order you breast MRIs and get those done once a year. So you would get a mammogram and then six le- months later, you get a breast MRI. And so every six months, yes, you're getting your tatas checked quite often, right. but it would be every six months you'd be getting these checks, but it really does catch cancer. And I have had more than one patient whose mammogram was completely normal. Nothing was wrong with that mammogram. It was done exactly the way it should. It's a 3D mammogram, state of the art. But then six months later on their MRI, it picked up a cancer. Wow. And it's just because the cancer was you know, very quickly growing and they picked it up. But if they had waited a whole year to right. get their mammogram, it would already have spread. So there's definitely options. We just got to figure out what fits best for you. That's something to talk to your doctor about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And obviously it's going to affect a lot of women. And so that's why regardless of your age, first off, talk to your parents about their family history. I feel like that's one of the things that I've always struggled with with my patients is a lot of times they don't know. So true. So take advantage now and ask your mom, your dad, your aunts and uncles about your extended family and about their history because it absolutely impacts you. And you may be one of those high risk people and you don't even know it. So first off, know your family history, take advantage of them while they're here and find out everything that you can. For and sure. I think on that topic too, one thing I've noticed recently in my clinic, just the last couple of months is that my patients will edit out some of their family history. They will tell me that, well, you don't need to know about that because they were a smoker. They'll be like, mm-hmm. well, that like, you know, my granddad had lung cancer, but he was a smoker. I was like, well, I, I do still want to know about that. Or more importantly, they'll be like, well, my dad had prostate cancer, but he's a man and I don't have a prostate. I'm like, correct. You don't have a prostate. That is correct. True. But we need to know about that because, you know, on a certain side of the family, if you've got prostate, colon, right. ovarian, breast cancer, all on the same side of the family, that's a genetic link that links a lot to some other cancer risks or some genetic uh, mutations that increase your risk tenfold. So I've noticed that some of them started uh, editing that out. And so I've actually been coaching them saying, hey, you may not have that. You may right. not have the ability to have testicular cancer, but I need to know what cancers are in the family, both, you know, whether you, what you think is important and what's not. No, absolutely. Okay. And so for women that are coming into your clinic, okay. So they've talked about, um, you know, their family history that, you know, you know, their age, you know, you know, their risk. So generally most women though are getting a mammogram once a year. Absolutely. Yes. Starting at 40. 40. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. That's what we're going we're with. We're going with 40. We're every throwing year. it down. It's mm-hmm. 40. Okay. Absolutely. I love it. And 
then based on in, their mammogram or increased risk may then have to get advanced screening. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure that everybody understands that, that there are options and that's why it's important to talk to your doctor. And then okay. of course, if you have family members who had breast cancer in their forties, we actually even could start a screening mammogram earlier. Sometimes we right. do, um, just like with colonoscopies yeah. and stuff, we do it, you know, years before that. So we don't have to talk to your doctor about finding what exactly is the right fit for you. Absolutely. So if you do have any family members who are younger than 40 and you're in your 30s per se, tell them now. Right. Okay? Exactly. So you don't want to wait till you're 40. You want to you want to talk about it now. Okay. Well, one of the really interesting facts about Suzanne Summers was she was a huge advocate for bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, which I know is one of your favorite topics <laughs> to talk about. So I, you know, it's one of those things I get a lot of women that come to clinic and they just tell me there's something wrong with my hormones, my hormones, my hormones, my hormones. Trust me, as a, if we talked about for an infertility person, hormones, I am very well versed in this. Yeah. So number one, most of the time we can't blame the hormones. You know, we'll probably be talking to one of our endocrinology friends later, you know, mm-hmm. in a later segment and telling, you know, getting that background too. But hormones are not always the source of all the problems. And so you've really got to make sure when we do hormone replacement therapy, mm-hmm. that we understand that there are risks with it. The trend for using hormone replacement therapy, when we're talking about that, we're talking about, usually it's estrogen we're talking about, but it has to be paired with progesterone most of the time. If you still have a uterus, side note there, estrogen cannot be given to somebody who has a uterus um, unopposed. You must include progesterone because mm-hmm. it increases your risk for cancer of the uterus. Now, those who had hysterectomy or have had their ovaries removed, they can have estrogen by itself. Okay. So that's the first thing there. But on that topic, hormone replacement therapy isn't benign. There's risks associated with it. You have an increased risk for breast cancer due to that estrogen. You have an increased risk for blood clots as well. And I've seen both of those things happen. So the thought process behind using it has changed dramatically over the last like 30 years. Um, Back in the day, they, you know, love our male physicians, but it was predominantly males more back in the day. And they would just say, hey, a woman's done with using, having kids. She doesn't need her parts anymore. So they were much more willing to take out that uterus, take out those ovaries, and then put you on estrogen to replace it. Mm. Well, we were so happy to just rip everything out and hand you fake hormones, not your natural estrogen, obviously, coming from your own body, that we were noticing increased risk in those breast cancers and those blood clots. So then everyone freaked out and they said, oh my gosh, no more for everybody. Right. So they stopped giving estrogen to everybody. And you had a lot of really uncomfortable, yeah. grumpy, unhappy women with hot flashes. Right. And, stuff. and that's one of the reasons that Suzanne was advocating for it was for treatment for menopause symptoms, Absolutely. which can be horrible. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. So then it went all of a sudden, no one's using it anymore at all. And then everyone's unhappy. So now the consensus is that we, when we do use these hormones, we use the lowest dose for the shortest period of time. And we use it more of as a trying to get over that hurdle of the menopausal symptoms. Um, but again, not everybody is a good candidate for hormone replacement therapy. And so that's one of the big things we have to talk about and look at. Um, someone like Suzanne Summers, I don't really actually know her background as far as her family history goes, mm-hmm. but I do know the protocols that she was using for her hormone replacement therapy were widely criticized by right. medical professionals. They didn't think that there was a good safety standard with it. So they were, they knew that there was a risk, unfortunately, for increased risk for cancer that she unfortunately did, did come down with. Right. And so just to clarify the difference, so bioidentical hormones come from plants. And some people have tried to say that these are safer than traditional hormone therapy, right? When, when all that fell out of favor, it was kind of, well, we have this safe alternative, but there aren't any large research studies that show that that's true, right? So the same risk that you're talking about with traditional hormone therapy 
is the same risk of bioidentical therapy. And a lot of people like to call something bioidentical just in general when they're saying, you know, it's, um, you know, different versions of estrogen is, you know, estradiol versus other versions of it. It's all the same. When you are mimicking estrogen, you're mimicking all the effects of estrogen, right. including that increased risk for those complications as well. Okay. And you talked about treatment for menopause symptoms. And there are some treatments for those symptoms that are not hormone replacement therapy. Can you touch on some of those a little bit? Yeah. So there's some really cool stuff that's happening these days. And this may be fairly new um, to a lot of listeners who are in that age range, or maybe they have a family members talking about Mm -hmm. these things, but there are some new meds coming out and that just came out. There's one called Vioza. Um, and I can never say that some of these generic names, I mean, we're doctors, we can say most of the generic <laughs> names, but then they come out with that one that you're like, I know. oh gosh, um, fezzolinitant, mm-hmm. uh, is FDA approved non-hormonal treatment option for moderate to severe hot flashes and night sweats due to menopause. It works on a part of the brain called the hypothalamus that controls body temperature. It's really, really cool stuff. Yeah. It's an alternative option for women who have strong family history of breast cancer or other reasons why they can't have traditional hormone replacement therapy. It doesn't affect any other symptoms of menopause, such as like the vaginal dryness or mood changes, but we have ways to cope with those too, if we have to go that route. But it's just revolutionary that says we have an option for people for those hot flashes that's not hormone replacement therapy like estrogen. Okay. We can also use things like Zoloft. Did you know that we can use Zoloft for the vasomotor symptoms of menopause? Like hot flashes? You just educated me. I did not know that. So we we can use Zoloft for all sorts of fun things. And hey, that helps with the little mood as well. It helps with the hot flashes. Okay. Yeah, you just have to kind of talk to your doctor and find, you know, if there's a non-hormonal treatment that you could try even first before you go down that hormonal route. Okay. Awesome. Well, a lot of great topics today. We've talked about, we scratched the surface on infertility. We heard about Dr. Jessica's personal struggle as well. And we're going to provide you again with those resources so you can delve into this topic even more. We've also talked about the importance of breast cancer screening Again, remember, one in eight women will have breast cancer in their lifetime. This is why screening is important. And we're saying it here. Start at 40 if you're an average risk, maybe earlier if you're higher risk. This is why you got to see your doctor to find out and every year for your mammogram. Okay. And then lastly, hormone replacement therapy, it can be a great option for treatment of menopause symptoms. It sounds like we have some alternative options that are in the pipeline um, that would be great for those women who are not a candidate for hormone replacement therapy. And again, you got to talk to your doctor to figure out if you're that person. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please come follow us to learn facts about your health. Like this episode, subscribe, turn on notifications, tell your friends and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to the MedEdit podcast. Please click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. For more information about this episode and to learn how you can reach Dr. Carrie Sorrell and Dr. Jessica Gray, please visit today's show notes. And don't forget, click that follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information and content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. If you need medical advice or help, contact your personal physician. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Dr. Jessica Gray and Dr. Carrie Sorrell. This podcast should not be considered as an alternative for medical advice, diagnosis, or confirmation of an illness or disease. Please seek assistance from your personal health practitioner.